earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. A very special celebration is coming up this month on Wednesday and Thursday, March 16th and 17th. Perhaps you know of it. It's the Jewish celebration of Purim. And we learn of this incredible celebration and the reason for it in our Bible's Old Testament book of Esther. When was the last time you read through Esther? Well, I promise you, friends, it's a great read. And between now and March 16th, please make it your aim to read the book of Esther. Well, friends, let's get right to it. Drama, power, romance, intrigue. This is the stuff best-selling novels are made of. But far from a modern piece of fiction, today's program will actually present a true event, a story written and lived centuries ago. More than entertaining reading, the story of Esther portrays a profound interplay between God's sovereignty and human will. God prepared the place and the opportunity, and two key people of God stepped up and chose to respond to a set of circumstances. Although cast on the Old Testament stage, the story of Esther in many ways depicts the story of us all. Have you ever, all of a sudden, perhaps to your own surprise or shock, found yourself in the midst of circumstances beyond your control? Well, like Esther, we've also found ourselves face-to-face with challenging choices, haven't we? And friends, these choices often involve moral issues. What's the right thing to do, we ask? It might even result in the loss of comfort, popularity, maybe even our lives. We might even hesitate, as Esther did initially. But to retreat behind the safety and comfort of the walls we have built around ourselves is actually the most dangerous thing we can do because it means we have actually chosen against God and threatened our very souls. Friends, in light of the upcoming celebration of Purim, I'd love to suggest that you read the book of Esther in one sitting. It's riveting! Well, let's begin our journey in the world of fiction, because I believe there is an interesting parallel to the events in the book of Esther. Do you remember The Wizard of Oz? Remember when Dorothy, her little hairball dog Toto, the Scarecrow, Tin Man, and Lion finally reached the Emerald City, desperately hoping to meet the wizard? Do you remember when they're allowed in and they approach a room and hear the loud, booming voice of the wizard? They're frightened and awestruck at his demonstration of power. 
Then little Toto scampers over to a booth with a closed curtain, and with his teeth pulls back the curtain, revealing an old man feverishly working levers and pushing buttons, triggering ominous visual images, and with the aid of a microphone produces a deep, bellowing voice. Suddenly, Dorothy and her three friends notice that this old man is controlling all these great magic displays, but he quickly blurts out, "'Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain.'" Well, friends, while this Wizard of Oz employs a little deception behind that curtain, such is not the case with the God of the universe, the God of the Bible. The scriptures occasionally reveal to us that at times God works behind the scenes and divinely orchestrates the outcome of many of our life circumstances, kind of like a silent partner. This reminded me of the lives of Job and Joseph. You know those stories, don't you? Interestingly, in Job, we also told that God intends to prove Job's integrity and righteousness. Wow! Something to think about the next time we go through a difficult time in our lives, huh? Perhaps God wants to put us on display and make a shining example of us to a dark and depraved generation who know very little about God. And regarding Joseph, the key to the entire story is found at the end in Genesis fifty twenty, where Joseph evidently has already grasped the idea of the providential and sovereign working of his God. Remember that verse, friends? Joseph said to his brothers, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done. So then, don't be afraid. One modern language version puts it this way, Don't be afraid. Do I act for God? Don't you see? You planned evil against me, but God used those same plans for my good. As you see all around you right now, life for many people. Easy now, you have nothing to fear. Before we continue, friends, let me briefly unpack the terms providence and sovereignty. By providence, I mean the guiding power that manages the universe with loving care and benevolence. And by sovereignty, I mean the supreme or kingly rule or control over all things. This is our word for today, and it really does help if we have a basic working knowledge of these two concepts and can understand them as they intersect our own life situations. Otherwise, friends, we'll easily and quickly fall prey to and become the victim of the tyranny of the urgent. By that I mean we'll only see our life experiences as random and disconnected events with no ultimate purpose or meaning. Been there, done that? Then we'll fail to see a God who is in control and who is the benevolent guiding power managing our lives, both the good parts and the not-so-good parts. We'll only be sucked in by the urgency of our needs and even work feverishly to make the negative things go away. In the process, we'll only blind ourselves to a higher purpose and plan because we're so focused on our single piece of the puzzle that we won't even be looking at the big picture and where our piece fits. 
friends back in 1992, the late Francis Schaeffer wrote a book called He Is There and He Is Not Silent. Like Job and Joseph, let's realize that, like the Esther story, God may be hidden, but he is not hiding. There's a wonderful prayer that ties in with the Esther story in the I Worship Devotional Bible. Lord, help me believe that you put me in this time and place with my abilities and resources because you had a purpose in mind. Show me how to overcome whatever may hold me back so that I can become a proactive player in your kingdom. You see, friends, the key question we have to ask ourselves is, are we proactively looking and listening? In other words, do we have our spiritual antennae up so we can zero in on the kingdom role God wants us to play? Now, friends, you might be saying, what am I supposed to be looking and listening for? Well, in the context of the story of Esther, for God to speak to us through both the positive and negative experiences in our lives, for God to use our life situations to guide us to fulfill his destiny for us. Friends, many, many years ago, a group of people concerned for lost souls met in a farmer's field in North Carolina. They fervently prayed for God to raise someone up in Charlotte to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. It just so happened that the field these people were standing in belonged to the father of Billy Graham. Do you see now how important it is to have a basic grasp on the providence and sovereignty of God? A basic grasp on the idea that God is always in control and working things out for our good and his glory. To the Christ followers in Rome, the Apostle Paul wrote, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Friends, the idea is reinforced over and over again in different ways throughout the scriptures, a few other places being Psalm 31:15, My times are in your hands. Romans 8:31, If God is for us, who can be against us? Joshua 1:9, where God says to Joshua, Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Hebrews 13:5, where God says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. To which the writer responds, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? And lastly, Philippians 1.12. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Did you catch that, friends? My circumstances? Where was Paul when he wrote those words? Right, in prison. Here's a modern language portrayal of this verse. I want to report to you, friends, that my imprisonment here has had the opposite of its intended effect. Instead of being squelched, the message has actually prospered. Hmm, ring a bell? You intended it for harm, but... Well, friends, the book and story of Esther are no stranger to this idea. Pastor and teacher, the late Warren Wearsby, in his study guide of Esther, writes, Kings may issue their unalterable decrees, but God overrules and accomplishes his purposes. 
That sounded a lot like Proverbs 21.1 to me. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Friends, the book of Esther is a curious book because God's name is never mentioned. Prayer is not even mentioned. Yet listen carefully. We cannot read the book of Esther without being conscious of God, a God who is lovingly and delicately weaving the threads of horrific circumstances into a beautiful tapestry that smacks of his providential and sovereign management. Management of the lives and events to which his chosen people have become captive. So, friends, this is why I encourage you to read the book of Esther in one sitting. I know it's ten chapters, but they'll go fast, I promise. You won't be able to put it down. God is about to turn a nation's mourning into joy. He's like a busy bee at work operating behind the scenes, like a silent partner. The book of Esther begins... This is what happened during the time of Xerxes, the Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Ethiopia. At that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa, and in the third year of his reign he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials, the military leaders of Persia and Media, the princes and the nobles of the provinces were present. Notice, friends, it's not a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. This is an historical record of a real event that happened. It's not Star Wars, The Revenge of Haman. And when you read through this book, on virtually every page, the discerning eye will detect the divine hand working effectively without anyone's conscious awareness of it. So, friends, as you dig into the book of Esther... Pay attention to the man behind the curtain. This is my title for today. Now, I just need to brief us all on the fact that there are skeptics out there who question that this account is history. They argue that it is fiction, and here's their rationale. The book of Esther has a large number of improbable coincidences. Esther never would have been chosen queen because only Persians could become queens, and it is implausible that a Persian king would decree the widespread extermination of a whole people group. But for the writer of Esther, he takes great pains to establish a historical and political context before introducing the religious context. In many places in the book of Esther, authentic Persian names, titles, and customs are mentioned. Additionally, God working behind the scenes is not unique to the book of Esther. Remember I mentioned the Joseph story, the Job story? Now I'll even add the story of Ruth. Esther was written to explain to a Jewish Jewish audience how the festival of Purim originated. And I'm going to leave it to you to discover what Purim means. If you haven't attended a Purim celebration, friends, you're missing out on an incredible experience. Purim became an annual remembrance of how God delivered his chosen people from annihilation, similar to their deliverance during the exodus from Egypt and the Pharaoh in Exodus 13 through 15. We're told in Esther that the events recorded in the book occurred over a 10-year period between 483 and 473 B.C. History tells us that King Xerxes came to power in 485 B.C. and reigned until his assassination in 465 B.C. You see, friends, King Xerxes elevated a man named Haman to a seat of honor above all the other nobles. 
In fact, all the royal officials knelt down and paid homage to Haman at the king's gate. But Mordecai, a Jew, refused to bow to Haman, for a Jew bowing signified worship, and Mordecai reserved worship for his God alone. So Haman quickly comes to despise Mordecai. In fact, his hatred fans out to include the entire Jewish population, and he manages to convince King Xerxes that all of the Jews should be exterminated. The drama of this builds when Esther and her uncle Mordecai seek a way to reverse King Xerxes' edict, and Esther risks her life to expose Haman's heinous plot. In so doing, Esther must reveal herself to be a Jew, and in fact it's her own people who are being targeted by Haman. Now, in my opinion, friends, the key portion of this book is chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. Here, Esther requests her people to fast for her. She says she plans to meet with the king and disclose Haman's plot. I don't know about you, but this certainly would be the perfect place to solicit prayer, wouldn't it? But even prayer is not mentioned, or is it? Friends, here we need to strap on biblical sandals and realize that for Jews, fasting is almost always accompanied by prayer. And the goal here was to petition God to sway the king's heart in the Jews' favor. In the midst of Esther's request for fasting, she consults with her uncle Mordecai. And Mordecai counsels her, Who knows, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Esther 4.14. What's up with that? There's no, thus saith the Lord here, no words of authority from on high. No, Esther, the Lord spoke to me and said, it's just a who knows. Isn't it interesting, friends, that even in this critical moment, God's mystery remains intact. It's as if God is the book's best kept secret. But friends, to the discerning eye, to the detective of the divine, God is here, and he is not silent. So, friends, pay attention to the man behind the curtain. And if we're paying attention, we'll detect God's heroic concern for his chosen people, the Jews, won't we? And we won't be fooled or misled by the story's series of extraordinary coincidences like the skeptics propose, will we? After all, Esther just happened to be chosen the new queen. King Xerxes just happened to have insomnia one night. King Xerxes just happened to pick up the scroll that recorded the good deed that Mordecai, Esther's uncle, had done. The evil Haman just happened to come along at a crucial moment. These supposed coincidences just happened to combine with Esther's courage and tilt the terrible events in the Jews' favor. You see, friends, discerning minds will ask the right questions. Like, were these really mere coincidences? Was God actually working behind the scenes? Is all of life really under God's control? Does anything just happen? Were these coincidences God's way of saving the Jews? No, yes, yes, no, and yes. Is there anything wrong with calling Esther and Mordecai heroes? What makes a hero anyway? Heroes sometimes downplay their part in a critical situation, often replying, I'm sure others would have done the same thing, or I was just in the right place at the right time. Hmm, I was just in the right place at the right time? 
Sounds a lot like a modern-day equivalent of Mordecai's words, doesn't it? And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Friends, I'm convinced that the book of Esther demands that we draw the conclusion that God's behind-the-scenes exquisite timing is combined with the courage of particular individuals who just happened to be in the right place at the right time and realized it. And, as a result, God's chosen people are spared from a horrific fate by both divine and human intervention working cooperatively together. Friends, I'm also convinced that the Esther story reminds us in the here and now that God is working between the lines of the story of our lives as well, between any plots against us, between any fears about our future. But uncovering and seeing God's prevailing goodness requires that we become spiritual detectives, or like I like to say, detectives of the divine. We must learn to read between the lines in our own lives. We must also pay attention to the man behind the curtain. Friends, I believe the book of Esther and the celebration of Purim challenges us to ask and answer this question for ourselves. Is God in control? In other words, is God sovereign? The story of Esther demands that we reply in the affirmative. God is in control and God is sovereign. Back in 1993, friends, Christian singer-songwriter Twyla Paris sang a song called God is in Control. The second verse is appropriate here. History marches on. There is a bottom line drawn across the ages. Culture can make its plan. Oh, but the line never changes. No matter how the deception may fly, there is one thing that has always been true. It will be true forever. Then the chorus chimes in. Pay attention here. God is in control. We believe that his children will not be forsaken. God is in control. We will choose to remember and never be shaken. There is no power above or beside him. We know. Oh, 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 God is in control. Then in the song's bridge, there are these words, He has never let you down. Why start to worry now? Why start to worry now? He is still the Lord of all we see, and He is still the loving Father watching over you and me. So, friends, let me repeat. Pay attention to the man behind the curtain. God may be hidden, but He certainly is not hiding. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're nearing the end of our program, but I've decided to not leave you in total suspense, so I'm going to read a portion of the conclusion of the book of Esther regarding how Purim was established and what the word Purim means. Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar, as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month where their sorrow was turned into a day of celebration. 
For Haman, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the poor, that is, the lot, for their ruin and destruction. Therefore these days were called Purim, from the word poor. The Jews took it upon themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them should, without fail, observe these two days every year." These days should be remembered and observed in every generation, by every family, and in every province, in every city. And these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews. Friends, my hope is that reflecting on this story in the book of Esther and the celebration of the Jewish holiday of Purim has been both encouraging and challenging. Let's become spiritual detectives of the divine and look for God sightings. Oh, they're out there. Let's keep our eyes open and our spiritual antennae up and pray that we can have the courage of both Esther and her uncle Mordecai. In fact, I'm going to pray for us all today using the prayer I shared earlier. Lord, help us believe that you put us in this time and place with our abilities and resources because you had a purpose in mind. Show us how to overcome whatever may hold us back so that we can become a proactive player in your kingdom. Well, friends, today's broadcast will close with an email where you may write me. I'd love to hear your feedback on today's or any previous programs. This email is also where you may contact me to learn how to financially help this listener-supported program. Friends, Christian Radio in general, and a word from the word in particular, have not been immune from the financially and economically challenging times we're living in. It's listeners like you who keep this program on the air. So please consider joining a Word from the Word support team. I would be forever grateful. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a Word from the Word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com.